What up? We're back. Two times in one week, Javier and I are on the same show. I feel like this is a miracle. It's a miracle. What up, Javi? Doing great, doing great. Welcome everyone to another episode of Benzinga Cannabis Insider. What is this? Like our hundredth episode or something? Two hundred? I don't even know anymore. No, we, definitely more. We've been doing this since twenty twenty. So, did you realize that? Fifty weeks a year is probably three hundred shows by now. No, well, because um, well, no, it would only be like one hundred and fifty. So, check your math. Um, but that bit, no, wait, no, two, no, because we only had one a week for a while. That's why I said that. Um, oh, then yeah. we did an hour, then we did two one hour shows a week. And that was just, what were we thinking in life? I don't know. Regardless guys, welcome to cannabis insider. It's been a while since we adjusted and yet Javi and I are wanting to talk about it. We're, we're, uh, we like to talk about the past, I guess. That being said here to chat about cannabis. We have an amazing interview today with John Yang, CEO of trees, uh, Javi, before you dive into news, and honestly, you have some headlines that I want to hear about today. Yep. Cannot wait. I actually chatted a little bit in our newsletter about uh, tech and cannabis. There are some companies that just cannot keep up. There are other companies that I think are more innovative in cannabis than we're seeing in other regulated uh, CPG yep. markets. It's just such a wide variety of actual technology companies in the space. Uh, I mean, do you have any insights on that? It's crazy. Here's the thing for me, because it's such a new industry, there's like a lot to do and, and a lot to do real fast, right? Mm -hmm. So suddenly we just had a new industry that was established in many ways because it pre-existed legality, right? But like suddenly we needed a bunch of tech solutions all at once and we knew what it was, right? For, for things like crypto or NFTs, you know, the technology evolves with the industry itself, right? Of course it does with cannabis as well. But with cannabis, what, what happened is we flipped a switch and suddenly we're like, oh, dude, we need all this at once. And then it was off to the races, I think. Just That's awesome. So I'm excited to hear John because Trees, in my opinion, has been the latter. They have been ahead of the game. They have been growing pretty rapidly. Uh, and I'm really excited to hear from him. But that being said, I have two things that I want to say. First of all, I'm going to let you do some news here soon. Uh, and I'm very excited for that. Investor headlines, some of the international headlines seem to be popping today. Uh, secondly, we do have a new admin that both you and I have met, but both you and I have not had the idea until now. Would you all want product reviews on this channel? Would we want somebody on the Benzinga team to chat about product? And I know Javier is very adept and can do it as well. So if you guys want to talk about strains, drop a one in the chat. If you guys enjoy the talk about oh, business. Cool products, right? Like, let me yeah, show yeah. you. Yeah, vapes. I mean, crazy stuff. Look at this. <laughs> I mean, we talked about the, the ashtray with Houseplant on Tuesday. Here's a, a nice one. This is That's cool. a That's bomb awesome. by, by, I think, BuzzFeed. Uh, I love this one. That's really cool. I mean, what about the ashtray? Have you bought one yet from Houseplant? We just talked about it Not on Tuesday's yet. podcast. Not yet. I'm waiting for them to send one. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> you have to write a review. They send one, Javi. You are, you have to. That's the rule. Uh, but that said, y'all, Javier, I'm not going to belabor us here, but I think we should get a little bit more product involvement here. I think that would be fun and not just talk about boring old finances and bullish markets and that nonsense until they start making us all money. Paraphernalia reviews for, for the yeah. next I can't do product reviews because I'm in Argentina. So even though I can get medical cannabis, there's not a lot I can do about brands, but I can definitely 
do some cool reviews when it comes to paraphernalia. Let's do it. Javier is going to have a cool paraphernalia review for us on Tuesday. Let's do it. Awesome. With that being said, Javi, dive us in, man. What are we talking about first? So first off, we're talking about New Zealand, which authorized home cultivation of medical cannabis, um, basically because patients could only be prescribed medical cannabis imported from abroad before this 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 law. So they were importing from countries like Canada or Australia. Uh, so even though they had 35 medical cannabis companies, they were all forced to uh, operate in this import-export model. So of course, home cultivation is great and it helps people save a bunch of money access their medication whenever they want. Of course, the products will not be as sophisticated as those made in a lab, but great news out of New Zealand. Fantastic. That's not the only international news. I mean, Italy is letting Tilray in. Yep. Very, very cool. Let me find that one. So Tilray is T-L-R-Y for those who are interested in the stop and order recommendation, but a very interesting brand, Tilray brand. Uh, announced that FL Group, uh, a division of Tilray Medical in Italy, received approval from the Italian Ministry of Health to import and distribute Tilray's medical cannabis oral solutions, THC-25, across the country. Interesting move from, so, from really in Tilray. I said this this morning, but when it comes to Tilray and their medical expansion, it always comes in two phases. One, they got to get in, right? You got you to have, have an entrance. So here we are with that. The next step is the education of the doctor. I mean, they've done well in other markets. Do you feel like um, they can take those educational platforms into Italy or do they have to build a whole new one for the regulations there? Uh, half and half, right? So most of the, the cannabis knowledge translates, but it needs to be translated and adapted, right? It's not just running it through Google Translate and going like, okay, this is done. Uh, that is... Actually, one of the reasons I, I think why El Planteo has been so successful, right? This Benzinga sister company that operates in Latin America in, in less than one year of operation became the most read cannabis news outlet in Latin America and, and the entire Spanish-speaking world. One of the main reasons is because we tailor the, the content to the audience that we're speaking to, right? It's not we're just translating stuff and going like, okay, here, you know, this is what America thinks. Right. So I think something similar will happen to Tilray. They have the resources and the advanced knowledge that maybe Italy doesn't have, but they will need to adapt it to a new audience in many ways. I love that. That's a great answer, Avi. Thank you. Before we get to the next headline, uh, what up, Thomas Faber? That boy got that hefty. Yes, he does. Javier, show us another one on Tuesday. El Guapo, welcome back. Javier always has magnific magnificent style. Uh, first of all, so you can always come from for that, if nothing else. I'm just saying, Javi. We're all there for it. Go in style. Here's one news item that I liked, and it wasn't in, in our in our run of show. Yes. Uh, rapper, Chicago rapper Vic Mensa, who, by the way, spoke at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference. Go Thanks check to out you. his chat. It was day two with John Capetta. You can find it on our YouTube channel at Benzinga after the show, of course, still going out. Um he was seen in Chicago giving out, giving away um, gas, not gas, the weed, but actual gas, right? So he just gave out ten thousand dollars in free gas to two random people awesome. in a station right around his his mother's house, right, like right right around the corner. And That's really cool. cool. That's really cool. I like this guy more and more every time I hear about him. Um, excuse you, El Guapotron four thousand. 
El Guapo Throne. All right, we're going to have a competition now. I'm going to earn your favor by the end of this show, El Guapo. Uh, Sydney Osborne, C-H-O-O-F, that's Choom. Lots of cash from sale of stores. They sold nine of their, was it 16, 17 stores to High Tide. Um, yep. High Tide was very picky about what stores they wanted. They did not want all of them. It was my understanding, though, that Choom is pretty much, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't expecting much out of Choom anymore. Javi, do you have any insight there? I mean, it, it's it's a good situation to be in right now. I mean, it's never good to have to sell assets, but at the same time, when companies are strapped for cash and suddenly they have certain assets, I think uh, we've seen a few cases like SNDL, former Sundial, where they just took a bunch of cash. And Not if people remember how bad off Sundial was. Yeah. For a long time, Sundial was in pain. And then they were a meme stock, and Zach George handled that beautifully. Um, and here we are. But I, I mean, we'll see. They they could roar back, Sydney. I mean, solid point from the chat there. That being said, Javi, you had a headline that I am pumped to hear you talk about. What are cannabis investors waiting for to deploy capital? Actually, I don't want to talk about that one because what? I don't want to spoil. The content in the article. Go to Benzinga oh, and find out what investors are waiting for. Drop you. a one in the chat if you think Javier is a tease. I'm dropping a one in all the chats for the rest of the day. You get only one, Javier, you tease. Anyways, must read okay. it on Benzinga. Go check it out. It's I mean, the, the, you know, there, there's very low capital uh, entering the space right now, and that is the conversation that that several investors had at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference last week in Chicago. Uh, we had Mac Hawkins, Todd Harrison, Emily Paxia, Joseph Joseph Scoff, uh, Tim Seymour, and they were all, you know, uh, looking, at, you know, discussing what would they need to feel comfortable deploying a lot more capital. And really, they're, they're waiting for this one signal, right? And this signal could become safe banking or some other sort of, of legislative move. That is as far as I will go with the spoilers. All right, fine. We all have to read it. All right, Javi, you get. Two more storylines, and then we got to get to an amazing interview. I'll, I'll make it quick. One is uh, some very interesting news out of Colombia. The newly elected uh, president, Gustavo Petro, who recently took office in Colombia, made his first speech at the United Nations and denounced the failure of the war on drugs. He said one heartwarming and, and touching thing after the next. He said things like, I come from one of the most beautiful countries on earth. There in the mountains and valleys of all, all the greens, not only do the abundant waters flow down, but also the torrents of blood. I come from a country of bloody beauty. It is not only beautiful, but there is also violence there. And then he asked, what is more poisonous to human beings, cocaine, coal, or oil? I demand from here, from my wounded Latin America, to, the end, to end the irrational war on drugs. Decreasing drug consumption does not need wars. It needs all of us to build a better society. Damn. Just perfectly good. I don't know. Nothing to We add. haven't heard a speech like that in the U.S. for a while. Um, <laughs> dang. All right. Well, that's one. I mean, props. Absolutely props. And here's the hoping that Colombia gets that full legalization soon. And we can do some quick headlines. People can go to benzinga.com slash cannabis and read more. We had an exclusive of a... Uh, reports out of Leafly looking at um, cities opting out of legal cannabis programs and inadvertently supporting illicit cannabis sales. 
Tilray receiving a cannabis production li license in Georgia. Um, okay. I love that. Not I love that for them. I wanted this this fall. And we have an interesting interview with rapper Moneybag Yo, who talked about cannabis and NFTs. Nice. Uh, the True Leave one I'm super interested in. Uh, I really think True Leave, you know, obviously they bought Harvest. It took them into states in the West. It took them into, um, you know, markets they weren't in before. But when it comes to their plan, you can clearly see them trying to take over the Southeast. Yeah. Well, it is so interesting. Like they want Georgia, they want Mississippi, they want uh, West Virginia and down. I mean, they are, once North Carolina, where I'm at, goes legal, I guarantee you truly will be one of the first two or three here. Yeah. Well, they got five medical cannabis dispensaries allo uh, allocated to the company in Georgia. So I think it's, again, a pretty good um, footprint that they will get in a, in a state that is just opening up. Perfect. Awesome. So with that, y'all, we're going to get to another amazing interview here because of the executive and hobby. I'm just here for the ride. Let's do it, though. Let's bring over our special guest for the day, CEO of Trees, John Yang. Welcome, welcome in, John. How are you today? Oh, you are on mute, my friend. I'm on mute. Here we go. There you go. Thank you for having me, Aliyah and Javi. Oh, pumped to have you. So as is custom here, please give us a little walkthrough on how you ended up in Canatech. For sure. Um, first, first time being on the show, first time listening backstage. Very lively discussion, so certainly you've gained a new audience going forward. Um, I, I, I came from, not from a traditional cannabis background. Uh, you know, I, in my teen years, I grew up in a very small town called Reno, Nevada. Many of you probably have not heard of it. Those that go to Burning Man, stop by, uh, to fill up before you go to Burning Man. So, um, it's a very small town, uh, in the, my teen years is the mid nineties. I grew up being enamored with technology and how it solves issues and problems with uh, small businesses, right? And you know, it's all small businesses. Uh, my father owned a computer shop, so I was in there tinkering with what an internet means, what this networking means, what this personal computing means, and how does that change all these pen and paper processes? So really uh, enjoyed helping all these small businesses. Uh, and then in uh, post-college for me, it was doing the same thing, but doing it for Fortune 500 companies. So this is a consulting gig consulting with the likes of, you know, Toyota, Facebook, and others, uh, and diving into the ERP side, the business intelligence side. And what I learned from that experience is every big company has a lot of disparate systems. Some has some customer truth, some has some inventory truth, just systems all about. So it's a lot of chaos to make decisions. Um, so what I when I joined this space, I met Fortuitously, my co-founder, Sharif, who is from the space, is a vertical operator. Um, at that time, he grew, he manufactured, he distributed, and he retailed. And I was fortunate enough to have met him in his retail shop, uh, a little 700-square-foot hole-in-the-wall out in Hayward, California. Um, but And I remember distinctly, he, he made me wait an hour waiting to see him. But that was <laughs> the best hour of my life uh, because, I, again, hole-in-the-wall, I line out the door, two big bouncers. I don't know what I was in for, um, but I was in for a ride. And that's six years ago. Uh, I saw every customer had to identify themselves. Um, I saw, 
you know, Sharif having this homegrown hodgepodge of Microsoft Access, QuickBooks, Excel, pen and paper. It's like, whoa, there's a big opportunity here. There's a lot of sales volume happening here. There's a big moat because there's no purpose-built system for this space. And this, this space was still relatively big, but it's much bigger now. It will become even bigger in the future. And so started to say, this is a no-brainer. Let's build this cloud platform that we know as, or commerce platform that we know as Trees today. Let's have this really uh, robust mission, which is to accelerate the growth of the global cannabis industry with our technology and with our insights, because we're gathering a lot of data that's helpful back to our retailers that we support. Uh, and that's history. That was the last six years in the blink of an eye. Your stats are pretty impressive. More than 5 million unique customers. You work with 600 brands, 15% market share of the total U.S. market. What happens when, when the industry opens up and all the big tech players come in? What happens when Microsoft goes like, okay, we'll do a dedicated product? Yeah, we welcome it, right? Um, it's a great question, Javi. If you, if you look at a lot of these bigger players, and let's focus more on the point of sale players instead of the broader horizontal players like Microsoft. Um, the point of sale players are saying, well, this is a very niche vertical. It's very specific. It's very nuanced. It's not something that our point of sale out of the box can support. So why don't we be good stewards and maybe lend our payments arm or lend some other solution that we can work with and get educated. But to tackle this space, it's not, it's not really meaningful. It's not big enough yet for them to do it, but it's not meaningful for them to invest all that dollars to create a very vertical stack uh, to support our space. So when they are ready to enter, we will partner with them, um, potentially get acquired by them if they choose to really play in this vertical. But I think we're still some ways out. Um, but you know what? It's a good question because they are paying attention to the growth of this space. When it comes to competition, in this market, we were just talking, you know, earlier because of, of your presence here about technology in the space, right? And it's, it's, there's such a wide disparity between tech companies uh, in this industry. One, you have tech companies literally leading retail technology, just agnostically, not just in cannabis. And then others, you have some that led it three years ago, but haven't been able to keep up and they've completely fallen off. And it's been such an interesting uh, view to, to watch that. So when looking at your competition and other tech companies in the space today, do you see anybody doing the holistic sense of partnering that you're doing for companies? Because we have data uh, companies that are literally just doing the, the inventory management, you know, trying to keep companies, they partner with retail software, then you have POS systems over here. But it seems like you are the, you know, looking to be that holistic technology retail partner. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a lot of different angles to to go with that question. I'll start with, you know, I feel for some of our competitors, right? I feel for a lot of our players in this sector. It's hard. I mean, market headwinds, access to capital, growth with a lot of unknown nuances. Uh, when I was sitting backstage, you know, like it, the industry came legalized and then all of us technology companies just spread it out. Uh, but it depends on where uh, you begin that journey. Every market is of a different beast. It's a lot of different rules. They seemingly change every week, especially in a new market. And with a lack of access to capital, it's really hard to get all of it right. That's why I feel for a lot of our competitors, right? For us, we took a very focused uh, approach to growth. We said, 
we spread it out in California. It's a large enough state as it is. It's very nuanced. It's forward thinking. It's always leading in some area, especially cannabis. So let's get the state right first. And then what we also did early on is we drew a funnel. Um, this is a vertical stack. There's growers, there's manufacturers, there's distribution, and then there's retailers. So who is that end of the funnel uh, for that final sale? Because in our space, it's the licensed legal cannabis operators, the retailers, the delivery operators. That's who consumers buy from, right? So let's tackle that nuance first. We would argue that the point of sale in our space uh, is at the center of the value chain for the entire ecosystem. And getting that part right and getting it right for all the legalized states is enough of a burden. Everyone else that comes uh, to help us, CRM players, you know, payments players, whoever, let's be a good steward uh, of and be open to those partners because our retailers need that help. Our retailers are really starved for good solutions for traditional solutions that traditional retailers have access to. They don't. So let's solve their operational problems and let's be you know, open and bring some of the partners, sometimes our competitors, into the mix to support them properly. You have a pretty big claim to fame and I want to unpack it here. You say increase revenue, streamline operations and drive profitability with, profitability with the leading commerce platform for cannabis retailers. How does that work? How do you increase revenue, streamline operations and drive profitability with just software? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great question, Abby, because our genesis of starting in that 700 square foot, uh, foot hole in the wall is that, you know, at that time it was doing 400 tickets a day, 400 customers a day in that small footprint, right? Uh, at its peak uh, with trees, it was doing 1500 tickets a day. And really at that point, it's just purely limited by the, the footprint. Um, but back then without trees, they were tapped out. And that's our genesis, our story, right? So software can really make a big impact here. Um, and you have to think about retail experience in cannabis being a little different than the traditional retail experience. Traditional retail, you go to a Nike outlet, whatever it is, you have maybe a 20% chance of converting that sale, right? In cannabis, it's probably closer to grocery shopping. It's probably 90%. Once you made that decision to go in there, you want to go make a decision, pay, get in and out, and just make that sale. So software could affect the volume throughput and therefore affect the sale. It has to be efficient, whether it's a backup house, getting inventory in, getting inventory stocks, refilled out on the floor, display correctly, pro promote it correctly, uh, and then getting the customers in and out. There's a lot of different things that uh, a software provider can influence on in terms of just upselling, getting, getting the highest average order value of a consumer. If you have some form of a digital payment, we know and we our data shows that, that that increases over a quarter of the typical sale price. Things like that affects the consumer experience, gets them to repeat, and gets to maximize their purchase whenever they make that choice. Very nice. Yeah, that was awesome. So I have two questions, but I'm going to start with piggybacking off our interview on Tuesday, which was with Mikey Moore from Houseplant uh, about brands. So I'm curious, from your perspective, right, you have a unique perspective of not having to worry about CPG for your product per se, uh, but you do have to worry about making CPG successful. So brands, are we to the point where customers are coming back specifically for the quality of brands? Or are they coming back to have access to cannabis? Or is it somewhere in between? It's somewhere in between, but mostly for discounted products, unfortunately. 
Right. I love how the hobby is starting to do some product reviews, paraphernalias <laughs> to start. But you know, it's interesting because education is the critical need to get customers, consumers rather, uh, to be educated on the space, to be educated on what the hell they're consuming, why they're consuming, and why they will come back for a certain product or product line. Brands do a good job in getting that initial hype, getting that initial customers in. And some with those kind of drop brand mentalities have a line out the door waiting for them just because of the pure scarcity factor. But that doesn't necessarily create the long-term consumer we want. That doesn't necessarily create the industry, a sustainable industry that we want, right? So there's a lot of education that's needed and that brands can actually work with their retail partners and vice versa to get that across to the consumer. And I think as a technology partner, we really have a lot of responsibility here because we could be that conduit for education. When brand releases new product SKU, they invest a lot of time, a lot of research dollars, and then they create amazing content, whether it's photos, whether it's attributes, whether it's descriptions, whether it's the background story, right? Um, a lot of that gets lost when it comes down to consumer. Imagine the last time you went into a dispensary. You go in there, you look at it, it's amazing layout, cool. Wow, you have 600 or 700 product SKUs? What, like, help educate me on what I should, um, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's the discount aisle. Maybe I'll just focus there first. So that's a poor education, right? That doesn't necessarily get you that repeat visit visitor that you want. So brands have a long way to go, not only in their region, if they want to go global and they want to go maybe just even cross state lines, it's a lot of education that they need to, to focus on with their retail partners. What an incredible answer. And you led me right in to my other question, which was crossing state lines, only I want to know about it for trees. Do you put a lot of value on entering other states? And I'm looking at your state list now, and I actually see Missouri on there, which very well could be our 20th legalized recreational state. So when thinking about how much you value the different markets within the U.S., um, I'd love to understand that from your perspective from a technology company and not a vertically integrated grower. Yeah. Um, with respect to our mission, which is to accelerate the global cannabis economy, uh, we need to be in every market. Uh, but early on, we took a very focused growth approach. Starting at the start of this year, we were in six states, having our point of sale solutions powering retailers in six different states. Uh, at the end of this year, we're aiming to be operational in 11 uh, and with some contracts in 13. So that's our goal, right? By this time next year, we want to be in 20. Um, again, we're not saying we, we just raised a Series C earlier this year. We're not saying we're going to be in every state in one year. That's impossible, right? We have to do every state justice. And we have to understand all the nuances and problems. And then ultimately, yes, we need to be in every market that matters. And sometimes that's a global market. Some of our logos today, they're already operating in Thailand. They're already operating somehow, some way in, uh, around uh, EU. Uh, and we want to be there for them. Um, and that's a whole different game. Um, looks seemingly shaping up to be a whole different game than what we're used to. Fantastic. Awesome. John, any last thoughts you want to leave us with trees, what we can expect from you going throughout the end of the year, what we can expect from the tech scene going out throughout the end of the year, whatever is crossing your mind. Yeah, um, no, it's, this is great. I, I think that look forward uh, to, to meeting us at MJ BizCon in Vegas uh, in mid-November. We have a lot to show, we have a lot to release, we have a lot to to story tell how Trees has matured over the last six years, certainly this year. And I look forward to your listeners. I look forward to anybody that might be at the show to, to come say hello. We will say hello for sure. Yes, sir.
Bobby's always there. I've been there the last couple of years. But John, pleasure, man. Really appreciate your time. I look forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much. Bye. See you. Awesome. Javi, this was a well-timed discussion. And thank you. Oh, I thought she was leaving me up as the big screen. It's fine. Uh, but Javi, well-timed discussion about technology with some of the news that's come out this week, especially um, you know, when it comes to other investment opportunities for investors to look at what tech is doing in this space. There's a reason software was the leading uh, driver of investments earlier this year. And it's because of companies like Trees. Indeed. Very, very, very interesting uh, interview here. Uh, before we close it up, we have another interview for you. Uh, so stick around and remember, Check out benzinga.com slash cannabis every day for a daily. I'm guessing program. I wasn't a part of that interview because I don't no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, what, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Willis? Um, so actually a good question in the chat before you wrap us up, Javi. I'm digging into the website with some competitors and some competitive advantages. One that comes to mind with POS side is Possibit. I think they just entered their 20th state with their POS system. One that comes to mind on the data side would be Hoodie Analytics, which mm -hmm. I think does something very similar in terms of alerting brands when their their products are off shelves and they need to restock and sell more, things of that nature. Spring but big. I think, sorry. Spring big. Spring yeah. big for the loyalty. I mean, Trees though is, that's what we mean by holistic is, and that might be the competitive advantage uh, to that comment. I'm sorry, Javi, please continue. I interrupted you. No, no, not a lot more to add. Just remember, benzinga.com slash cannabis. Uh, subscribe to our daily newsletter. It's called Cannabis Daily. You can go to benzinga.com slash cannabis slash newsletter to subscribe. Go check out uh, Elliot's daily podcast, Cannabis Daily. Absolutely named. Very interesting. Short recap. You can get uh, all the key headlines and some interesting stocks to watch every day in the morning. It's just five minutes. Uh, you can listen to it while driving or even while standing in line at bank. It's five minutes, you know. So. Getting your coffee, your yep. your your coffee in a in a in a hemp derived coffee cup. Uh, <laughs> maybe one day, Javi. Always a pleasure, my friend. Really appreciate you and the knowledge you bring us. El Guapo, Holy Strategies, Bobby, Sydney, Thomas. Thank you all so much for being in the chat and everybody else who listened and is listening after the fact. We appreciate you. Uh, and we will see you again on Tuesday when Javier drops some personal product review knowledge on us. Okay. So excited for that. Okay, 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 okay. I hear you. We're keeping you to it. Everybody, come back on Tuesday and make sure Javi does it, all right? All right, that's it. We're done. Javier, love you. We will see you again Tuesday. Stick around for the next interview. Silver Spike. Stick around. Coming up. Come over. Bill Healy, partner at Silver Spike Capital. There is the man. How are you, Bill? Very well. Thank you for that kind introduction. Oh, of course, man. I probably undersold you. You know, and, and tell me I did. It's totally fine. No worries. <laughs> yeah, but but, but uh, a matter of protocol here first. Uh, a, I apologize for the uh, the hotel setting background uh, here uh, today. Number one. <laughs> Number two. Um, I do want to echo what a great conference Benzinga just threw. Um, I'm still here in Chicago. Uh, you guys put on a great show. It was uh, filled with content, great people. But most importantly, I don't put you on the spot here. I want to congratulate you in this public forum on a new addition to the uh, Lane family. Uh, yes. Congrats, congratulations. Thank you. Perhaps Thank you'll you, have Bill. a uh, 
a new Benzinga co-host in uh, in a couple of years' time. You know what? I, I had her watch the entire event with me <laughs> over the past two and a half days. She fell asleep for the majority of it, but the content was still going. It's like you 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 have her kids listen to Mozart, and then they start to be more educated. They're smarter. I don't know if that's actually proven, but that's what they say. My child is listening to How to Invest in Cannabis. So <laughs> we're starting her early. There we go. Thank you, Bill. Honestly, thank you for all those kind words. Thank you for participating in the conference. Uh, with that being said, you participated because you are an expert capital employer, an expert capital raiser uh, when it comes to just capital in general, but now in cannabis. So I'd like to back up. Tell us about you. Tell us about your background in finance. Um, well, I started my career in, in 1985, um, way back when, uh, Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, went through the credit training program with the slide rule, as we did back then against uh, with candlelight. Um, but what was really exciting back then is I started in the emerging market debt business, um, which back then they didn't even call it that. So it was really at the nascency of um, what they called Latin American defaulted sovereign debt back then. But I was very fortunate. I was at the right place at the right time um, and um, spent a year in New York, spent three years in London, three years in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. Really back then as a banker helping back then, the game was really helping multinationals get liquidity in and out of their subsidiaries uh, in Latin America. Okay. So there are a lot of debt equity swap games. So um, when on the advent of, of uh, Brady Bonds, when it started turning into a more traditional sales and trading background of, uh, of debt trading, uh, I joined ING Bearings, which was a really big prop shop back then. And that's where I met the current managing member of Silver Spike, Scott Gordon. He and I worked together there for five years. Long story short, really at the nascency of emerging market debt, which we'll talk a little bit about uh, in terms of the, um, the, the commonalities that it has with cannabis today. Uh, spent 18 years after that at Deutsche Bank uh, hmm. in a number of um, institutional sales initiatives, uh, which was really cool. Um, and then um, went down the blockchain rabbit hole, as many of us do. <laughs> I left the banking industry, spent about a year and a half uh, out West Coast at Pantera Capital, which was one of probably the very first blockchain manager. Super, super, super interesting. Again, I think a lot of parallels and to some extent to, to cannabis. Hmm. Uh, and then, um, you know, got called back to New York and, and opted to um, start Silver Spike Capital about three and a half, four years ago with Scott and, the, and another co-founding partner. Four years of deploying capital in this industry. You are old, my friend. You're an OG when it comes to being in cannabis. How is it? I mean, that's probably this, this question is probably too early, but my gosh, you've seen a lot in cannabis. You've seen the valuations bubble. You've seen that crash. You've seen us start to talk about it again. You've seen what's happened in Canada. You've seen some Latin American companies come to the forefront. But I mean, how? what's your perspective now of the industry over the last four years uh, in terms of where cannabis has grown to? Well, I mean, I think of it from two, four different ways. Um, first, just just as a, as a backdrop, uh, as an industry, what's going on in cannabis is not really unique. If you just look at the past 35 years, you know, there are countless sort of either new asset classes or new technologies or new industries, um, you know, whether it was cable, tech, blockchain, um, early days of emerging markets. So in terms of, 
you know, some people in technology may be familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, right? Where you get super excited, then there's the trough of disillusionment. And then, you know, that's we're coming out of that. So I think that sometimes people may perhaps hold uh, what's going on in cannabis um, at a higher standard, but in terms of what's happening. But actually, if you just look a little bit at history, what's going on from the industry sort of washout or consolidation or, or new entrants coming in, um, it's it's not terribly unique. Now, there's this very interesting nuances that we'll talk about as it relates to regulations, uh, barriers to entry, you know, regulatory ambiguity, um, and ultimately it's a regulated industry, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I'll pause there. But on the other side of the coin, what really gets us excited at Silver Spike is from a capital formation, right? From from the fact that there's no dedicated asset class for cannabis, mm -hmm. the fact that they're really we're really in the nascency part of asset managers. There are no dedicated asset managers, right? So mm -hmm. we saw this play out in emerging markets uh, in the late 80s where no, you would get hostile responses if I called people up and asked them to think about buying you know, sovereign defaulted debt. They thought it was the stupidest thing they ever said and they hung up the phone. Today, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry, right? Uh, multi-billion dollar asset management, dedicated, Managers are giving assets uh, uh, to, to manage with that mandate. So, you know, ultimately, we think that's what's going to play out in cannabis and, and, and as an asset manager. That's what really makes us so excited. Now, you'll have to forgive me for bringing us back here. But at Chica in Chicago, at our Cannabis Capital Conference, there's a lot of talk on brands, the growth of brands, the obstacles for brands, how they're working with and without MSOs and vertically integrated operators. So when you look at uh, vetting, you know, a vertically integrated operator versus a brand, uh, it, do you are, are do you keep those conversations separate? Do you look at them in the same boat? I'm very curious because generally, for a while, debt providers, credit providers wouldn't invest in uh, cannabis companies without assets. Right. And they, they yeah. are something to go against. So I'm curious what your thought there is in a brand versus uh, those with heavy assets. Yeah. So um, good, good question. And, and the reason why people went after sort of really the traditional collateral is real estate. So some of the very first mm -hmm. lenders or dedicated lenders in the space effectively were, were folks that had a real estate background, right? So they brought their real estate lending expertise to the cannabis space. Now, it, it doesn't mean that um, you have to be really, really well-versed in all the nuances and intricacies and complexities that are found in the cannabis industry. But the very first sort of manifestation of lending really relied on that true, you know, on, 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 um, on, on real estate. So effectively REITs, right? There are some publicly listed REITs, right? So um, for people who may not necessarily be familiar with that, the people are basically looking just like a bank will lend to you for a mortgage on your home. They're effectively looking directly to the real estate as the rationale and the collateral from which to make the loan. So we'll pause there. One of the things that Silver Spike did was that we created uh, or we launched what's called the Business Development Corporation. So we're talking a little bit about packaging here, but effectively what that allows us to do is to do everything REITs can do and everything REITs can't do. In other words, um, mm -hmm. 
there was a, a transaction that I think you were referring to with the Shrine Group, which is the owner of the Stizzy brand, right? Now, one of the reasons why we think potentially our BDC could be more favorably um, positioned to make really large um, loans because um, you know maybe some of the borrowers that have really well established brands, really well established cash flows, other 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 collateral, but maybe they don't have two hundred million dollars of property to to uh, to mortgage, right? So we have the flexibility as good old fashioned cash flow lenders to look at everything, right? Do cash flow analysis of what those what those what the revenues look like for their brands. Um, just gives us a little bit more leeway to be a little bit more flexible on how to lend. Um, and it's just not about the collateral, right? It's about the underwriting you do. Uh, it's about the value that you assess, right? I mean, if 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 it's a if it's a, a manufacturing facility. Um, it's doing ping pong balls. Maybe people give it a different valuation than all of a sudden it's cannabis. Oh my gosh, let's give it a 10 X more valuation. Well, you know, be careful because like if that, that thing goes out of business, what's its other use value, right? So there's a whole host of, of things that, that really constitute good underwriting and lending practices. Long answer to your question. I'm not sure. No, if your that was beautiful. And actually let's dive in to a little bit of, uh, uh, a versus B here, because you uh, just told us about the BDC, the Business Development Corporation. Alongside that, we do have uh, a wave of lenders going public, mostly REITs. You have mm -hmm. your, your AFC Gamma, you have your New Lake Capital on the OTC, you have some that could be coming public by the end of the year, which I also think um, are actually um, some REITs, some not. But looking at you, looking at, so if I'm an investor, mm -hmm. looking at your BDC, it seems to me like there's more flexibility in what you're offering than those that are specifically doing real estate. However, if I'm looking at the REIT, perhaps they're looking at this as that's a little bit more secure with my money. But I'd, I'd love to get your take on how I were, if I'm looking at SSIC versus uh, a, a REIT ticker, how I look at that. Yeah, good question. So just for the, again, C, SSIC is the, is the NASDAQ ticker for Silver Spike Investment Corporation. Which for which effectively is a pool of cash, right? Congress passed this law in 1980 to give middle markets an access to cash, to 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 capital markets, to to funding working capital that they otherwise might not have. So, what, what we effectively do is we raise a pool of cash uh, as we did earlier this year, uh, and but importantly, um, we spent about seven months getting this approved with the Securities Exchange Commission and also getting it approved by NASDAQ, right? So um, it's literally the very first uh, 40 Act fund. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an election that we took to be guided and regulated uh, the BDC under um, the SEC, right? So to the extent that uh, someone asks you, uh, is it, you know, is it, a, is it a 40 Act fund, right? It's like, it's like, a, it's like a closed end mutual fund. Um, you know, the BDC is and, and other vehicles are not. Now, um, you know, that potentially has benefits. Ultimately, uh, it's what we do with that cash that, that really matters. So um, I want to make a very, very important point here. We can do everything a REIT can do, and everything a REIT can't do. So we'll have, I'm not suggesting, you know, we at Silver Spike took a decision that we felt we wanted to be a BDC rather than a REIT. It was harder to get it done, but we actually felt like it gave us as a lender, right? Ultimately working for our shareholders, 
just more tools in our tool set to to manage risk to bring everything to bear that we can and if it's a great name that you know um isn't just all about real estate that we can you know underwrite it really rigorously rely on cash flows and 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 and, and structure um we think is a great opportunity and the and the you know in the shrine transaction i think is an example mm-hmm. of the type of transaction that i'm not sure i don't want to be on the record here but i'm not sure a traditional REIT would have been able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and just for all those that are watching that may not know, Stizzy, S-T-I-I-I-Z-Y, is one of, if not a top five brand in the cannabis space, period. And that is the brand of the Shrine Group. Um, so and private, and private yeah. too, just to make, I think and one thing we haven't talked about, Elliot, is that there are some publicly traded multi-state operators, right? You know, maybe half a dozen to 10 that um, and then there's the, you know, b- below it, either mm-hmm. private. Um, so that's kind of the folks we're, we're after is where we think. Now, now mind you, some of these um, larger MSOs, if they have some bonds um, that trade, you know, at levels that we think are super attractive, you know, we'll do the underwriting. We'll take a look at it. And if it meets our standards, you know, from time to time, we might opportunistically, you know, buy those too. I know you're somewhat of a fan of David Letterman and you provided me a top 10. So I, I, can you just introduce this and then run through it? Cause I I think this is fantastic. It's something we haven't had before. It's a treat uh, for this audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least it's not uh, stupid pet tricks, right? Then maybe there'll be some young (laughs) folks on this, uh, on this, on this, on this uh, webinar that uh, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but you know, David Letterman, who's now retired, followed, uh, you know, the late night and, uh, he came up with this wonderful idea of coming up with sort of every day, just thematic, you know, top 10. And I was actually thinking that, you know, as we go out and engage folks, um, new investors, people who haven't necessarily thought about allocating, I was thinking of maybe a, and this is, this is not meant to be humorous, by the way, it's just sort of in terms of getting my thoughts together. I tried to put like a top 10 of what perspective or existing investors, you know, possibly don't appreciate or underestimate. And, and I'm happy just to go down that super quick. You could ask Please. questions if you want, but I think the first one, and this is in no particular order, um, but um, I think, you know, I think the secular story, number one, is is really unabated. Now it's gonna be a rocky road, it's never a straight line, but I think most people, if they don't appreciate it, that, you know, the states are gonna tripping over themselves to legalize. Massachusetts, I think, raises more tax revenue uh, than they do in cannabis, than they do in alcohol, tobacco. You know, the secular store in cannabis, it's happening. I think the second one, um, you know, cannabis is not just about getting high. And that was Scott Gordon's big, big um, insight uh, in early 2014 when he started investing in the space and, and, and started Papa and Barkley. It will always be a recreational product with several SKUs, but I think it's also going to be a major disruptor to several you know, several health and wellness categories that people don't perhaps necessarily appreciate. I think the third one, I love it. be a great research piece someday. Uh, you know, cannabis, consumer staple or consumer discretionary, right? People may know that those are two separate uh, categories in the S&P 500. Um, it, beer consumption, for example, in 2008 uh, wasn't adversely impacted. So when people think about cannabis, is it really a consumer staple or at the end of the day, is it, gonna, is it discretionary? You know, I think that's an interesting thematic. Um, you know, maybe the demand for it, you know, day to day, you know, won't debate. Uh, I think uh, the fourth thing, look, the industry will always remain complex, fragmented, highly specialized. 
Uh, I think a lot of it's not just about the federal illegality right now that creates barriers to entry and the competitive moats for some players that come in, um, but it's going to be complex. And don't be fooled by if someone tells you, you know, um, Safe Banking Act uh, passes tomorrow or becomes everything becomes federally legal tomorrow, that the world becomes super easy in cannabis. It won't. Domain expertise, number five, super critical. I mean, um, we like to think we're not just a bunch of knucklehead Wall Street guys. Well, maybe we are. But I think bringing some domain expertise in the space is super important. Value the licenses, value. And I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the market experience matters. You know, we have sort of the emotional and physical scars of investing through market cycles, Um you know, Scott and I were on the trading floor at the same time during the Mexico tequila crisis. Maybe some of your viewers don't even know what that was. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? It really helps having managed risk when, you know, the proverbial shit hits the fan and restructuring mm -hmm. and distressed. And I think um, that will be important going forward. Safe Banking Act, mm -hmm. I've mentioned this, federal legalization won't be a panacea overnight. Um, then I think number eight, if and when institutional capital starts to allocate, we talked about this could be a lot more impactful than people perhaps appreciate. Um, last, the two last ones, I think for the dedicated private credit investor, I think the non-levered risk-adjusted returns in cannabis are significantly higher and more attractive mm -hmm. than other perhaps private credit alternatives that they're looking at. And then the last thing, um, it's early innings. You know, it's this is going to be global. This is not a distressed trade. This is not uh, a, a dislocation trade. We're still in the early, early, early innings. Uh, it'll be global. It'll be super interesting. And there's, um, you know, the thing will unfold in ways perhaps we don't oh, anticipate. Um, but certainly it's not going to be a boring time. That's my top 10, baby. I love it. I'm going to snap because clapping will be deafening in this mic. Uh, but my friend, well done. Thank you so much. That did not take a short amount of time to put together. So thank you for that, Bill. Oh, gotta... I just winged it. You know, just winged it. <laughs> well, in that case, that's even more impressive. But Bill Healy, partner at Silver Spike Capital, that's NASDAQ listed, SSIC. Hope you guys got a lot out of this. What is a BDC? We answered that for you. We're going to have Bill back on to talk more about the SPAC vehicle at some point. And honestly, I'd like to dive in further the weed maps uh, in that conversation as well and what you saw there. But until then, my cool. friend, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Elliot, and congratulations again. Thank you, my friend.